Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Wednesday, December the 15th, 2021. It is currently 3.58 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the empty sanctuary of Victory Baptist Church located right here in Ovalo, Texas, where it is currently 77 degrees and the wind is blowing 9,000 miles per hour. Okay, maybe that's a little bit of hyperbole, but the wind is blowing crazy. It is dust in the air. It is, ugh. You, you, you walk outside and you can barely stand up. You almost get tipped over. In fact, I was, I was, as I was driving here, I think I saw some cows just go flying past. Okay, again, a little bit of hyperbole. But I, I'm doing that on purpose. It is windy outside and it is, and lots of things are being tipped over, right? I saw trash cans. I saw all kinds of things just blowing across the road, being tipped over. And I think that we, not only here in the United States of America as a country, but I think the church in the United States of America has reached a tipping point. We've reached a critical point and we need to talk about this critical point, this tipping point that we have reached and what it means moving forward, not only for the nation, but more importantly, what it means for the church. We are currently in the middle of a storm, a massive storm. It is swirling all around and it's beginning. I think we're, re- we're reaching that point where things are now going to be tipped over. And what I am most concerned about is the church. I'm most concerned about our individuals and their spiritual life. I think this storm is raging. It is blowing and Christians are going to find themselves right in the middle of that storm. And spiritually speaking, they're going to be tipped over, and it's going to have negative, devastating consequences upon their spiritual life and upon their churches. Now, I know you may think, well, that's hyperbole too. You exaggerated how bad the wind was blowing. Maybe you're exaggerating how bad the situation is. You could be right. You could be right. I don't believe that I'm exaggerating. I believe I've been warning and warning and warning, and I think we are there, and I have a news report where they've done a study, and they believe at least as far as the country is concerned, we have reached this tipping point. I believe that tipping point, I'm more concerned about not the tipping point as far as the nation is concerned here in the United States of America, but how that tipping point relates to the church. All right, you got your thinking caps on. First, we're going to lay a biblical foundation Uh, before we even get to the news story. I could go just to the news story and then I could work back and bring it back towards the, you know, to the church, but I don't want to do that. I want to start with a biblical foundation and then I'll move to the news story and then apply it to, uh, to the spiritual aspect that I'm obviously referring to. All right. I hope you pay close attention to this. Now, as always, if you're listening to me live, you can offer your thoughts, your perspective, or you could ask questions. And if you look, if you think that I that um, I'm exaggerating this, if you don't believe it as bad as I perceive, by all means, offer your perspective. Maybe it will bring in a little balance. I may disagree, 
but I got no problem letting everyone hear your perspective. I'll I'll read it word for word if you want me to, if you post it in the chat. I got no problem uh, people hearing different perspectives, but I'm 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 going to really be pretty dogmatic about I feel that we are at a tipping point. I feel that that the consequences of this tipping point are going to be devastating for the future of the church and for the lives of many Christians. And some of you have sent me emails expressing what you have seen in the lives of family members and loved ones uh, related to some of this, or at least in part. And, uh, well, I hope I hope this will be beneficial in some way, shape, or form, right? I'm going to consider this. I'm trying to offer a warning. And all I can say is, well, if, if you want to listen, listen. And if you don't, I perfectly understand that. There'll be plenty of other people who will give you a, a very different perspective but I'm going to be the, the weirdo standing on the street corner saying, hey, everyone, wake up, because I, I believe that's that's how serious the situation is right now. I think someone has to offer a warning, all right? So here we go. Let's start with this. In your life as a Christian, as an individual, and in the life of the church, we should all understand that we have to constantly be on the lookout for those things that would come into the church or come into our lives that would be a corrupting influence. We always have to be on the lookout not to allow those corrupting influences to enter in, right? If you are, if you are baking something, you don't want something that's going to corrupt what you're trying to make, poison what you're trying to make, pollute what you're trying to make. You you want to keep every, all the, you want to make sure you have the right ingredients and nothing wrong gets inside so that you can bake whatever it is. And within your Christian life, you don't want things coming into you that's going to corrupt, pollute, derail your spiritual life and spiritual growth. And for the church, we're, you, you, we have to constantly be trying to protect the church from not allowing these corrupting influences to come in. Now, for many years, it was it was a constant battle about we can't let worldliness into the church. We can't let worldliness, and we've got to stand against it. And we got to you know preach sermons against Hollywood and television and music and and maybe video games and and Harry Potter and you just whatever whatever the issue was at the time. Depending how long you've been a Christian, you've seen these different times where the church is like, we've got to warn about this. Look, everyone, this could be coming into your church. The people in your church are being impacted by this, preach against it. So there's been a lot of cultural things that the church has yelled and screamed about, about not letting it into the church. During the 1990s, there was a big you know, fight about the worship wars. We can't let this kind of music into the church. It will corrupt the church. We can't let that happen. There were lots of uh, doctrinal issues swirling around. We can't let that doctrine into the church because it will corrupt the church. We've got to stand against it. So the church is always fighting against, don't let that in. Don't let that in. And, and a lot of times the analogy will be used that we have to stand against this. Even if it's just a little leaven, we can't let it in because a little leaven will leaveneth the whole lump the whole church will be impacted. So we have to be looking anywhere to see if that leaven has entered in and whatever we identify that leaven as. And this is obviously a very biblical illustration. And we're gonna take a few minutes to really look at a couple of, of, of passages of scripture here that I think are important. But let's, let's first at least uh, define what we mean by leaven. Leaven, in its literal sense, 
is any substance like yeast used to produce fermentation in dough. It is the main ingredient that causes bread to rise in preparation for baking. So leaven is a, we can say, a very small substance, seemingly insignificant, seemingly to be very small, but that little small substance will then leaveneth the entire lump. It has an impact on the entire thing that you are baking, or it has, even though there's just a little leaven, it will impact the all of the dough. It's little, it seems insignificant, it may seem small, it may not even seem threatening. Now I'm moving it from little literal leaven to being illustrative. This would be any ideology, any concept, anything that may appear insignificant, may seem like it's nothing you have to worry about, but the next thing you know, it enters into the church and it begins to leaveneth the whole of the church. All of your Christian life or the, or the lives of Christians you know, it begins to have a profound impact, even though initially you're like, oh, there's nothing to worry about. That doesn't look dangerous. That looks insignificant. Oh, it's no big deal. We don't need to worry about that. I cannot tell you how many times I've tried to warn people about something and I'm told, you're just making a big deal. It's nothing. Don't worry about it. And then the next thing I know, I, I almost always want to call people back and go, oh, uh, so that remember that little thing you told me not to worry about? Well, have you looked around? Because now that little thing has become a big thing. And I, I it bothers me when I don't think people will listen, but we, we, we have, we have something that's turned into a big deal that may have started as a little leaven, but now I think it's leaveneth the whole lump. And I think it's gotten so bad that we've reached a tipping point, right? You, you'll just stay with me. Let's look at some places in the Bible where the term leaven is used, and we can get kind of an idea of what it's used for. We can go to Galatians chapter five, Galatians chapter five. I grabbed my Bible here, Galatians chapter five. And I know, I get emails all the time. Look, I know. I could just have all of these verses printed out right here on my iPad and just read them to you that way. But I like to open an actual Bible and turn to the actual scriptures. I just... I just, I do that not only because I love to do it, it's because I also am trying to challenge more and more people to actually pick up a physical copy of the Bible and use that. I just, I just, well, we, I get into a whole podcast about that. All right, Galatians chapter five, verse nine. Paul, writing to the church of Galatia, he says, a little leaveneth, a little leaven, I should say, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Now, if we go back to Galatians chapter five, verse one, and read the verses coming down, we'll start getting at least a hint of what Paul is referring to here. Galatians chapter five, verse one, stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. There were people coming into the church of Galatia, bringing in kind of, we'll just say a legalistic ideology to bring the people back into bondage, trying to return them back to Old Testament law, in a sense, returning them back to the many of the aspects of Judaism. And Paul is like, no, we've got to stand fast against that. So this little, the little, the leaven here would represent false doctrine, unbiblical perspectives, heretical views that come into the church. And the church always has to be on the lookout 
for heresy, for false doctrine. No matter how good it may sound, we always have to be on the look lookout for it. And I think in many cases, that's usually when the church, when when Christians talk about a little leaven. Well, I can't say, I take that back. I think there was a time that when the church thought about leaven, they thought about theological error, heresy, false doctrine. Then I think over time, the 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 mindset shifted and it no longer looked to really false doctrine as being the issue. It looked to things like worldliness, uh, you know, movies, television. It, it turned into more of a cultural thing. But for the longest, leaven would have been, look, that leaven over there, that's that false doctrine. That's that false ideology. And it's going to come into the church and it's going to per, it's going to permeate the entire dough, the, all the dough, all of the loaf, all of the church. So we have to stand against. And Paul is warning the church at Galatia, hey, these people that are coming into the church, bringing in, in a sense, they're legalistic, bringing in, trying to bring you back into bondage to the laws of Judaism and, and many of the Old Testament concepts. You've got to stand against it. I know I'm way way, 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 way simplifying all of the issues going on at the Church of Galatia. But for for argument's sake, it was bringing them back into bondage basically to the law. And he's like, hey, that, that leaven, it's going to leaven the whole lump. We've, lump. we've got to identify this and we've got to get rid of it, right? So that makes sense. We understand looking out for false doctrine. 1 Corinthians 5, 7, and I think there's a, a, a lot of applications we could take from this one. 1 Corinthians 5, 7. All right, here we go. First, or we'll go back to 1 Corinthians 5, 6. Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out therefore the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you are unleavened for even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Now, this is writing to the church of Corinth and specifically here, they're dealing with a very controversial situation, a scandalous situation. A son was having relations with his father's wife. In fact, it's right there in 1 Corinthians 5.1. It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you and such fornication as not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. So there was blatant, open sexual sin in the church and the church wasn't doing anything about it. And he's like, hey, guys, You've got to purge out this leaven. You've got to do something about this situation. So now we've got leaven associated with false doctrine. And here we have leaven associated with sin. False doctrine, sin. Okay. I think that makes sense. Then we can go to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. And we have this verse. Matthew chapter 16, verse six, Jesus speaks. Then Jesus said unto them, take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. The Pharisees and the Sadducees. And this leaven, when you deal with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, you have not only false teaching, but you've got self-righteousness. You've got uh, hypocrisy. You've got a lot of issues going on. But once again, a group is identified and their ideology, their teaching, their mentality, that is considered leaven and you've got to beware of it. You've got to be on the lookout for it. And then we can go to Mark chapter eight, verse 15. 
Mark chapter 8, verse 15. I know you know all of these passages, but that's okay. Mark chapter 8, verse 15. And he charged him, once again, Jesus is speaking, take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod. So you've got the, the leaven of Herod, which you could, you could refer to that as almost a hatred for anything or any, a hatred for anything that would challenge his political power and authority. He doesn't want any king, uh, you know, to, to challenge his position. So beware of that. Beware of the Pharisees. Beware of the Sadducees. Beware of leaven. Or we can just take all of them together. Yes, we can identify specific kinds of leaven, but let me make it very clear. Leaven can be anything that may seem small. It may seem insignificant, but it comes into the church. And the next thing you know, it begins to spread. It begins to spread. And it's corrupting negative influence can be seen everywhere. Just like when that leaven gets into dough, you give it a little time, you're going to know it's there. As that dough begins to rise, you're going to be like, oh, there's leaven in it. You're going to see it. You're going to see it. It cannot be, it's not hidden. Once the leaven begins to leaven at the whole lump, it is visible. It is clear. It is evident. Now, wait, just, all right, stay with me here. I believe if we go back many years ago, I mean, in fact, you can, you can even go back to the 1970s, the 1980s with the, with the basically the rise of the moral majority and, and, and through the 1990s and to the 2000s, and especially as you get close to 2015. It's been going on for a very long time, but a little leaven started working its way into the church. And I'm going to call this the leaven of politics. Political ideology, political considerations started creeping into the church. The church kept seeing the culture getting worse and worse and worse and worse. The culture d- taking this turn, this turn, and the church did not like it. And like, well, you know what? We've got to do more than just preach the gospel. We've got to do more than just prayer and fasting. We've got to fight these cultural battles and we need an ally to help us fight these, polit- these cultural battles. And that's politics. So we turn to politics as an, an ally. So I'm going to make an alliance with, again, going back to our studies of Isaiah 7, 8, and 9, let's work with them. And as a result, what started happening in the church is not only were they looking to politics as an ally, political way of thinking started becoming more and more dominant in the minds of the people. And the people slowly but surely started being influenced by the leaven, and I'm going to say leaven because these are not biblical concepts. They're not arising from scripture. They're arising from a secular, conservative, Republican worldview. That way of thinking started coming into the church. And so you started seeing people in the church start talking and thinking more like Rush Limbaugh, Bill O'Reilly, Glenn Beck, Sean Hannity, uh, Mark Levin, you go on, you, then you throw in some conspiratorial thinking like Alex Jones. And, and, and these things started coming into the church and people said, but no, it just demonstrates that we love our country, that we want the best for our country. And they would have, they would have covered it all up in spiritual language. It would have used a lot of biblical language, but slowly but surely a shift was happening. Or let me state it this way, slowly but surely a infiltration, a pollution had entered into the church, a little leaven. And little by little, 
the thinking of many Christians stopped sounding like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and started sounding like Fox News or Republican talking points. Now, I know I'm going to get emails going, but what about the people on the left? We've talked that about that all the time. I do agree that the left, same thing, political ideology coming into the church. I just think the churches on the left that buy into a left-leaning political thinking are, are, are already corrupted theologically. The, the conservative churches who start embracing the leaven of a right-leaning politic, they, in many cases, have good theology. But it's the little leaven that starts infiltrating the church. And so people stop seeing the world from a theological perspective. They almost take off their theological glasses and they put on political glasses, still yelling and screaming that, no, 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 no. We love God. We love Jesus. We, we care about doctrine. We care about theology. The only problem is so much of their thinking and talking points is, is coming from a different perspective. Now, while that was, well, now that has been going on in the church, but the reason it's been going on in the church is because there has been more of a politicizing uh, of the American public becoming so and so political. Everything is a political debate in our culture. Everything is a political fight between the left and the right, between the woke, uh, between the woke individuals and the conservatives. Uh, so it, it doesn't matter the cultural issue. It's been politicized. It, for example, a pandemic happens and it becomes political. If you, if you look at it, if the, if you look at the pandemic from, say, one political viewpoint, then you see the pandemic as fake. It's manufactured simply to, to take control. Uh, you, you, you call into question medicine, mask, social distancing. You call it all into question. And most likely, if you're calling it all into question, it's because you lean a certain way politically. So you have to acknowledge that the, 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 the political influence of even how to view a pandemic. If you look at the election, uh, if going back to the election of 2020, well, if you go back to that, there's still people running around screaming, it was stolen, it was stolen, it was fraudulent, it wasn't real. And, and when you when you say, okay, let's not talk about the election, let's talk about your politics, many of them yelling and screaming at that are going to be where? Right-leaning conservative Christians who, again, the politics has so infiltrated their minds that they see everything from a political point of view. Everything has become politicized. Everything has been corrupted by politics. Well, this is something the church should never forget. The church is always influenced by society. We may be you know, behind the culture, but we're always being influenced by it. I, I've said this a million times whenever I, I preach 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is a letter written to a church that was located in a city. The city was influencing the church more than the church was influencing the city. Well, that is the struggle with all of us. Culture has been politicized and that, 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 I, that political mindset then comes walking through the front door of the church and it may look like, oh, they just love America. It may look like that they're patriotic. It may look nice, but slowly but surely, that little leaven starts spreading. And next thing you know, you look at the church and you're like, that's a political entity. That's not a spiritual entity. That's not the bride of Christ. That's the bride of the Republican Party. And it 
it just has built and built. And now I think we've reached a tipping point and so has society. And this brings me to the news article that I have here that was published on December the 14th, 2021. Political polarization in the U.S. may be reaching an irreversible tipping point. Now, this is not looking at the church. This is looking at the country. And they're saying that the, that the political polarization, that everyone is so polarized because of they have become so politicized. They've become so politicized that now everyone is polarized. Everything is a yelling, screaming match. I was just watching video. I think this took place in Missouri. I don't know if it happened in the, it happened the last few nights. It's a school board meeting, meeting, school board meeting, right? That's the, the people who are supposed to be educating Children are responsible for the education of children in the public school system, and parents are supposed to be raising their children, hopefully in a good way. Here it is. It's a school board meeting, and it's chaos. You get two men face to face, and next thing you know, the other one punches the other one, and the man goes down. And you're like, wait, so the adults are yelling and screaming and fighting and punting, not punting, punching each other at a school board meeting? Like, we, we can't even have school board meetings now without everyone yelling and screaming. Why? Because everyone is so polarized and, and every, they're so polarized because everything has become so political. Everything is a political battle. Everything. It's just crazy. You're like, well, so are you for the vaccine or against the vaccine? Oh, no, you're a liberal. You're a liberal. And it's just they start yelling and screaming. Everyone is polarized and they're not polarized theologically as much as they're polarized politically. There was a time the church, yes, the church has always been divided theologically. No question about it. Yes, the church has always been divided by those who say, no, you can't dress that way. You can't go to a public pool. You can't, you can't wear makeup. You can't watch movies. And others are like, no, I can do that. There's always been a polarization of how do we engage the world or how much do we have to stay away from the world? There's always been a polarization in the church when it comes to theological division. There's even been a polarization in the church about what music can you use during worship? Does a pastor have to wear a suit and tie? I mean, there's always been these issues. What what translation of the Bible must you use? Those, those I almost long for the good old days when we were fighting over things that at least have some biblical connection. But the church now, like the culture, is polarized now, not on theological grounds, but political grounds. The political polarization, not only of the nation, I believe the political polarization is now, is, it's, it's leaven, that is leaveneth the whole church. And now the church is at a tipping point just like society is. Let me read this to you again. Political polarization in the U.S. may be reaching an irreversible tipping point. And then they have a photograph of an American flag and it's, well, ripped right down the middle. It's cracked. It looks like it's supposed to be cement. American flag painted on cement and the cement is cracked. In other words, a divided, polarized nation And that polarization has entered into the church. Now, let me make it very clear. Christians. Now, yes, 
We should be unified in doctrine and theology. We should be, but we know that's never going to happen. But within your local church, right? Within your local church, you have a statement of faith. So everyone should agree on that statement of faith about the deity of Christ, the Trinity, salvation, scripture, on and on and on and on, right? There should be, a, that's, you're, you're, you come together as a church in agreement on theological grounds. These are the doctrines we hold dear. But what's happening to many of those churches where there is agreement theologically, the theological agreement is now secondary and now a political statement of faith is put into place, even if it's unspoken. And if you find yourself going against that political viewpoint, you find yourself now ostracized or an outsider, or you feel unwelcomed because the church now is being split apart because of political polarization. The theological differences are almost secondary in many cases. And there's many people who have written to me going, hey, I, I used to go to this church and everything was great. And then all of a sudden now it's like, hey, you know, this, and they're, they're talking about the pandemic or the election or Donald Trump. And you're like, what has happened to the church? The church has been politicized. That, politis, that, that the church being politicized has led to a polarization, which is dividing the church. And now it's becoming a tipping point. And it's becoming a tipping point in society that this article is saying is irreversible. Here's the story. Talking points during the ho- talking politics, I should say, talking politics during the holidays can turn family gatherings into hostile debates very fast. While most people eventually forgive and forget those political disagreements, is there a point of no rep- return when Americans can no longer coexist with each other? A new study by researchers at uh, Cornell University finds that there may be an actual tipping point where no issue imaginable can unite Republicans and Democrats again. Now, that may happen in society. We may reach a point where nothing, nothing will ever bring Republicans and Democrats together again. You would think a pandemic would have brought everyone together. They have, they're, they're, they, and I'm going to read this in a minute. They think even if we were, attacked in a war, like in a military strike, that that would not even unite the country anymore. Nothing will unite unite the country. Every issue, anything that would happen to the country, it would now become, well, a hotly contested issue because of the the, everyone being so politicized. And the polarization is so great that it would be like, nope, nope, uh, Republicans are going to look at that, the, the, the issue one way, the Democrats are going to look at it another way. And they can't agree on anything, can't agree on what to do in a pandemic, can't agree about masks, can't agree about social distancing, can't even agree about the number of people who have died, can't agree on anything. And while the so- society fills that polarization, well, the society is divided where it creates broken relationships and loneliness and frustration and anger. Guess what? They walk into the church and guess what they find? The exact same thing. And the church should be the place where, no, we are unified in our identity in Christ. We are not identified as a political party. We're not even identified by a, 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 a flag of a nation. We are identified as citizens of heaven, as followers of Jesus Christ. But the church has seemed to have forgotten that. So the world, that, so many in the world who are sick of how politicized everything has become, like 
They can't even come to the church because they find the exact same thing. Well, let me read this. Their findings revealed that at this point, extreme polarization becomes irreversible. The team's predictive model for measuring the behavior of a polarized political group, like the current U.S. Senate, shows that even an attack by a foreign power or another pandemic would not heal the political divide. Instead of uniting against a common threat, the threat itself becomes yet another polarizing issue. So I want you to, that they wouldn't come together to deal with the threat. The threat would become polarizing because we yell and scream about everything. We find that polarization increases incrementally only up to a point. So it will, it will increase and it will increase little by little by little, but only up to a point. Above that point, there is a sudden change in the very fabric of the institution. Like the change from water to steam where the temperature exceeds the boiling point. The very fabric of the institution can be changed when you reach that tipping point. If the church reaches that tipping point, the whole fabric of the church has been transformed. It has been changed. And guess what? It To me, it stops becoming a theological institution. It becomes a political institution. And if you don't agree with their politicized views, then you're going to be, there's going to be polarization. You're going to be ostracized and you're going to basically not be welcomed there. And now the, the church would say, no, no, that's not true. But there's too many people who are like, no, I'm not going back. I'm, I've had it. I'm done. I'm done. It's, it's, it's constant this. And in many cases, the people, even if they don't feel it coming from the pulpit, they can feel it coming all around them. The church gets together for anything and you just hear the discussions and hear the talking. You're like, I don't have anything in common with these people. And let me just tell you, please, this is so important. When it comes to fellow Christians, the only thing you should worry about having in common with them is Christ, doctrine, theology. You may never have anything in common with them among so many other areas. It would be great if if all of us would be thinking somewhat similar when it comes to cultural issues. But so much of the, when people become politicized, they're not looking at it from a biblical perspective. So, I mean, you, unless you agree with their political viewpoint, you're gonna, you're not going to get along. But, but that, the sad part is we've got to purge out the politicizing. We've got to we got to purge out the political hijacking of the church. Because if we don't, we're going to reach a tipping point and the institution of the church in America is going to be so transformed that it's going to stop being a church. And I, and I keep screaming that that's where we are. They go on to say, division and extremism pull political bodies apart. Researchers say their work builds on an earlier political model that stu- that study co-author, and they give the name of the co-author, created to examine the two-party political system. That model looked at 30 years of congressional voting records, correctly predicting the shift in political polarization among 28 out of the 30 U.S. Congresses. So they studied the two-party system, saw that it was becoming more and more and more politicized and divided, and then they could even predict exactly how it was going to go. Because the more and more divided you get, you can almost say, well, that's how they're going to vote here. That's how they're going to vote here. That's how they're going to vote here. They can't even come together. 
And I've said it so many times, even in the political world, they can't even come together to do what's best for the country because they're so politically divided that they're more worried about their team and more worried about winning than they are doing good. And that mentality cannot come into the church. I've said it, I've said it once, I've said it a million times. You turn on American Family Radio, it's a, it's a major Christian network with radio stations all across the country. And you listen to them Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. till 6 p.m. You listen to some of their programming. It's so politicized. And they sit there and they'll be calling Biden names. They'll be calling the vice president names. It's mocking. It's condescending. It's ungodly. It's fleshly. It's just like, this is nothing more than a secular talk show. There's nothing godly about it. And they talk about political solutions to the world's problems instead of biblical and theological. Now, every once in a while, they'll throw in some scripture and Jesus in there, but it becomes this polluted mess. And it's just, it's nothing more than adding to the political division. Why would a Christian radio station be adding to the polarization of the nation or in regards to politics? As a Christian radio station, when someone turns to your channel, do you want them to hear your political views or do you want them to hear preaching and teaching of the gospel? Well, clearly I can tell what, you know, the American Family Radio believes people need to hear. Uh, the new model stimu- uh, simulates the behavior of 100 politicians within a legislator, like the Senate, who have varying opinions on 10 extremely divisive issues, including gun control and abortion. Over time, the model shows that lawmakers shift their positions on issues according to the influence of like-minded allies and arguments with partisan opponents. The team also manipulated their uh, control parameters to see how political intolerance, party identity, and the strength of an outside threat impacts the political system. At each mile marker in time, the Cornell model recorded two specific measures of political polarization, partisan division and ideological extremism. Study authors describe political division as the typical differences of opinion between each party. Meanwhile, the model calculated the level of extremism based on the range of far left and, and right wing positions. Hang on, the article is loading again. All right, one second. I hate when it does that. All right, okay. So uh, partisan division, ideological extremism. Okay, then they uh, that looked at left and far right. Um, and then uh, it says res- results show that At any level below the critical point of polarization, the researchers could reverse the political unrest by dialing down their control parameters. However, once political polarization reaches the tipping point, the study authors failed to ease the unrest no matter how many variables they changed. This even includes the national response to a common threat like war or disease. So in other words, they looked at the divisions, right? They measured them. You've got extreme extremism. You see, you've got ideological extremism and partisan division. So they looked at all of this and they're like, okay, at, if, you, if you're at this level, you can change this and change that and you can ease that extremism. You can ease that political division. But once it reaches a certain point, there's no going back. You can't ease the extremism. You can't, you can't ease the division. Even if you include something like a war or a global pandemic, it will not fix it because nobody can see anything outside of their political ideology. 
And all they care about is that political ideology and winning the political debate. And this way of thinking infiltrates the minds of people. They would tell you, they would argue, I'm not looking at this politically. I'm not looking at this politically. They would yell and scream and try to deny the political influence. The only problem is when they start talking, you're like, well, that sounds like the talking points from Fox News. So clearly you have been influenced by a political perspective. They just can't see it. But once they reach it, it's a tipping point. There's no going back. There's no fixing it. That's a bad, that's a bad place to be. The process resembles a meltdown in a nuclear reactor. Up to a point, technicians can bring the core temperature back down by increasing the flow of water used to cool the reactor. But if the temperature goes critical, there's a runaway reaction that cannot be stopped. Our study shows that something very similar can happen in a political reactor. The voters are like the nuclear technicians. It's up to us to bring the political temperature back down before it's too late. They go on to say, we see this very disturbing pattern in which a shock brings people a little bit of uh, a little bit closer initially. But if, pol- if the polarization is too extreme, eventually the effects of a shared fate are swamped by the existing divisions and people become divided even on the shock issue. All right. If we reach that point, we cannot even unite in the face of war. Now, I know as soon as I say this word, people are going to get emails going, it doesn't exist. Climate change, pandemics, or other challenges to the very survival of our society. And that's the end. That's, that's, that's not good. That, that even if our very survival is at threat, once you reach the tipping point, you still can't get anyone to wake up. You still can't get anybody to you to unite. You can't even get you can't get anyone to work together. It would rather like I would rather have everyone be destroyed than work together. I would rather see people die than work together. I would rather see people die than compromise. We, we've seen this over eight. Wait, oh, I think we're over eight hundred thousand people now in the United States of America dead from COVID. Talk to many Christians. I'm pro life, but I'm not going to do a thing. I'm not going to do one thing to possibly stop the spread of COVID because I believe it's all a Chinese threat. It's, they made it up. It's, it's a hoax. It's, it's done by the Illuminati and the globalists and whatever crazy conspiracy theory. I'll just give you how crazy things get. Uh, not today, yesterday morning. Had to go get my labs done because I've been like two years behind in getting my yearly labs done. So I went to the lab. I got there very early in the morning because I wanted to get there as, you know, early as possible. I walk, when I arrive at the hospital, um, uh, uh, Hendricks South, or no, yeah, yeah, Hendricks South. There's now the Hendricks Hospital North and Hendricks Hospital South. So I go to the South facility only because it's about three minutes from my house, okay? I live very close to the, to the Hendricks Hospital on, on the South side of Abilene, Texas. I, um, I pull up in the parking lot. I walk over to the building. There's the main entrance to the to, to the hospital. And then over to the left is where the, uh, many of the doctor's offices are. It's where my doctor's office is. And on the very hall, on the very hallway where my doctor's office is, is the lab. So I got to get my labs done. So I get there. I'm, I'm probably there about 6.45 in the morning. I get there way early. Wait for them to open the door. Um, they open the door. And, you know, it's uh, right a little before 7 a.m. We go in. We have to wait. 
And uh, finally there, well, before I, before I even get to the hallway, hallway, let me make sure I describe this because it's a very important part of the story. When I pulled up in my car, got, and I always park like a million miles away from the door, it drives everyone crazy. I don't, I'm not one of those to go drive around and try to find the closest parking lot. Oh, I hate that. I pull in and find the, the one furthest back where there's no one else and I can just pull in and pull out. And then I just walk because what, I mean, it doesn't hurt you to walk, right? So I just, I always, it doesn't matter if movie theater, shopping center, store, hospital, I'm parking 18 miles away. Okay. That's just what I do. So I, I park, walk. And of course, as I get closer to the building, I put on my mask because, well, we're in the middle of a global pandemic, right? Okay. And I walk in. And of course, as soon as I get to the doors, I know they were going to be there. I mean, worked in the medical world for 22 years. I know what I'm going to see. There's going to be signs everywhere saying a mask is required. Okay. I, I understand that. I put the mask on. No problem. Go in. Okay. I go through there. So that's right there at the front door. You go in. As soon as you go in, you take a left. There's the elevator. As soon as the elevator's open, there's signs all in the elevator. A mask is required while in the facility. No problem. I get out of the elevator. I come off the elevator, take another left and take another right, go down the hallway. There's the door to the uh, lab. As soon as you, I think we're on the sign. Uh, there's a sign on the door. Mask is required. Walk in. Okay. I, I've got a mask on. No problem. There's a, 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 a woman waiting. She's got a mask on. No problem. We're waiting. We're waiting. And finally, a gentleman comes walking in. He doesn't have a mask on. Now, part of me wants to say, so having a hard day today? You know, I, I wanted to, I really wanted to ask, so you having a difficult day? Is, is it really hard on you today? Because clearly you can't read because there's signs everywhere in this facility telling you to have a mask, but I'm just going to mind my own business and I'm just sitting there. Well, they, they come out and they're like, sir, you have to have a mask on. He's like, I'm not wearing a mask. And they're like, sir, it's required. Nope, not putting a mask on. I'm not putting one of those stupid things on my face. I'm not cheap. I'm not, I'm not following, falling for this nonsense. I'm not going to put a mask on. Like, well, sir, with it, we're going to have to ask you to leave. I'm not leaving. I'm not putting a mask on. You cannot tell me what to do. And you're going to do what I need you to do. And they're like, well, no, sir, actually we're not. You're going to leave because it requires a mask to be in this facility. He says, make me. Well, they call the hospital security. Now, all I want to do is get my labs done. That's all I want to do. But here comes, you know, so-and-so. He's going to make a point, right? He's going to make a point. He doesn't care about anybody else. Doesn't care about anybody else at all, except himself and making a point, right? Because this is the political polarization that's in this nation. It's for him, this is a political issue. This is a political issue. And just wait. So they, they have to call hospital security. Hospital security comes in. The guy just starts yelling and screaming that the whole COVID thing is a hoax, that the masks are, are, you know, the Democrats are using the pandemic to take away our civil rights and that we need to stand up. And the, and the, and the hospital, the hospital security guys trying to say, look, you're just going to have to leave. No, I'm not going to leave. Next thing you know, they have to call the police. The police come in. The guy starts struggling with the police. They have to throw him down on the ground. And I'm just waiting. I just want to say, I just want to get my labs done. That's all I want. That's why I'm here at 7 o'clock, 6.45 in the morning. But so it all goes down. He finally gets handcuffed. They take him out. Now, I know I shouldn't have. I know I shouldn't have. But 100% transparency. I just stood up. And clap, like, way to go, man. You, you showed them. Way to go. You, you proved that point, man. Woohoo. Way to go. And I, for me, it's just insane because I cannot tell you how many years I worked at, I mean, I worked, well, 22 years total, 
But I can't tell you how many different years during flu season, we had stations right as soon as you come off the elevator. If you, and we'd have a list. If you have any of the following symptoms, please put a mask on, right? Please put a mask on. And I can't tell you how many times people would either ignore the sign, walk by, and all of a sudden you would hear one of the symptoms. They start coughing. You can hear they, you know, they got, you know, nasal drainage going on. You can, you can tell that they, they've got something going on and you like put a mask on. Now, we never had anyone, you know, lose their mind saying that was a grand conspiracy to destroy the world and take away their civil rights and their freedom. And we're all going to be placed in a concentration camp. And this is the end of the world. What are we doing? We got to fight, man. We got to fight. We can't wear a mask. What are you doing? Okay. But no, I never had that. Now, one, it was a military hospital. So, okay. They don't, they don't, there's only so far they're going to push that, right? So, but they always put it on. They may have been irritated, but they did. And, and we, we were like, look, we don't want you spreading what you got. I work here. I don't want what you got. No one around here wants what you got. So, do, and, and we did little things, even in pediatrics. We had two waiting areas. If your child is here with any of these issues, you go to this. You go to this wedding room. If you're here for just a well baby check, then you go to that wedding room because we want to keep the sick people separate from the people who are not sick. That's called social distancing. That's called being smart. These are basic rules. But no, everything is so politicized now that for him to be told to wear a mask was like, it was an attack upon the constitution. And, you know, who knows? And that's just how bad things have gotten. Now, look, it's one thing. For that to happen within society. It is sad. It is, it is unfortunate. And I'm sad to say that I think our country is close and close, getting closer and closer to reaching that tipping point because we're so politically polarized that there is no going back. But it's how it impacts the church. That's what we have to wake up and see. Why are we taking our talking points and our way of thinking from the culture? And throughout the entire pandemic, anytime I would talk about it, I'd get all of these emails, people just yelling and arguing with me. And I would say, you're missing my point. My views about the pandemic doesn't arise from a political consideration. It's like, wait, there's a, there's a virus going around. People are getting sick. People are dying. Hmm. Okay. What is my responsibility as a believer in the midst of a situation where people are getting sick and dying. Let me see. Do I worry about my rights? Well, the Bible says, deny yourself, die to yourself, and don't follow yourself, follow Christ. The Bible says to love even my enemy, to love my neighbor. It says to put others before me. Well, that seems pretty clear. So what can I do? Maybe giving up a right, giving up something that could possibly alleviate anxiety? Even if I don't think it's a hundred percent effective, let's say I only think it's, let's say I think a mask is only 15% effective. Why wouldn't I want to do anything I could to possibly save and preserve life? Because we remember, you know, that big talk, we're pro-life, we're pro-life, we're pro-life only for life in the womb. Because once it comes out of the womb, we don't stinking care. My rights over your life. That became the mantra of the American church, which is absolutely frightening because they wanted to argue with the government. They wanted to argue about statistics. Look, 
No one has to believe that the government gets everything right, especially in the middle of a of a pandemic. Things are going to they're not going to get everything right at first. When you have a a novel coronavirus, a new virus, it's going to create confusion. And, and, and I'm not saying that all the governments handled everything right. I'm not even saying the government was always right. But here, what I I constantly said this. I, OK, what is the government saying? OK, I, I need to pay attention to that because obviously whatever government's in charge, God ordained them to be in charge and I have a responsibility to obey them. Uh, uh, and I understand that there can be some very extreme situations where I have to disobey. All right. So I want to consider what they're saying, but I would always say, OK, ignore them. All right. Look to the local hospital. What's going on? How many how are you over? Are you having problems finding beds for people for the ICU? Well, when the local hospital is like, man. We're, our ICU ward is overflowing. We need help. Okay, well, then when the hospital's like, hey, we've got a problem here, then okay, what can I do to help reduce spread within the community? It's not even about the government. It's not even about politics. It's about being a good neighbor. Look at your local hospital. What are they saying? They're like, man, this is bad. We're being overwhelmed. We can't take anymore. What can we do to help you? Well, you can do this. You can avoid large gatherings. You can reduce the number of people in a gathering. You can wear a mask. You can social distance. Okay. It, it, why is that controversial? Then you just do it. But when it becomes political, no, 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 no. To wear a mask, that means I'm going along with the Democrats. To wear a mask, that means I don't believe in the Constitution. Uh, to, to wear a mask means I'm, I'm voting for, chi- you know, communist China to put us in concentration camps. You're like, slow down. Slowed that all of those there can be there can be real concerns. Let me make it very clear. There can be real concerns about government over, overreach. There can be real concerns that must be addressed and may need to be addressed in a correct manner. You may have to even fight it legally because you live in a country that gives you legal recourse to fight policies and ideas. And by all means, you take those opportunities to use the courts to your advantage to do so. But at the, at, the, at the same time, where you're fighting what you believe is government overreach, while you're doing all of that, you still have a responsibility to love people, protect people, preserve life, and help out, I don't know, your local hospital who's like, we're overwhelmed. But then you hear, they're not really overwhelmed. They're lying. They're lying. They're, they're doing it for what? So they're, they're saying they're overwhelmed and they don't have enough room. And you think hospitals are doing that, what, to make money? No, they should be saying we're empty, bring everyone in because we want to make more money. They wouldn't be saying we're too full. We have to divert patients to other facilities. That doesn't help them financially. It doesn't even fit your conspiratorial thinking. But it's all because of how politicized everyone has become. Everyone has become so politicized that even that becomes a big yelling and screaming thing. And I watched it right there in front of me, a guy get arrested for acting an absolute just insane. I'm like, what? did you not know that you were going to walk into a hospital? I mean, as soon as you say, it's like, I see the signs. They don't apply to me. Really? They don't. Okay. Okay. Didn't know you're above that. Most likely, the guy probably is a member of a church somewhere in Abilene, Texas. I know I probably shouldn't assume that, but that's to me the way the church has acted through much of this. It's they start putting forth political talking points, and it's like that's not the way we're supposed to think. I can now some people will say, "Look, I've got some concerns." I, I understand that. I've got you. I understand your concerns, and you articulated them very well. Well, while you're addressing those concerns, 
here's my thing. What is your biblical responsibility? How come we can't just say, I need to step back and look at it from a a biblical perspective? The Bible doesn't say, worry about the U.S. Constitution. The Bible doesn't say, worry about how Republicans see it versus Democrats. The Bible would say, worry about individuals and people and life and showing love and respecting and, and, and obeying the law where you can. The Bible gives you a very simple roadmap. So you do what the Bible tells you to do. And then what the Bible doesn't address, you say, well, I, I, I disagree with that. Okay, well, then you have to make a decision in how you want to fight that using maybe the, the court system if you want to do that or taking a stand and losing your job or whatever the case may be and however you want to proceed. But it, once it becomes politicized, then every, 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 we reach a tipping point and there's no solution. There's no fixing it. It's just division, 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 fight, 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 division, division, fight, 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 until you ultimately hurt everyone, including yourself. That cannot come into the church. The politicizing has to stay outside of the church because then the church reaches a tipping point where the whole fabric of the institution is transformed and not for the better but for the worse. And we no longer reflect our identity as Christians and we no longer reflect being an, a, a bride of Christ. We just become nothing more than a reflection of the politicized, politically polarized society in which we find ourselves. And at that point, we are being more influenced by the church or by the culture than we are influencing the culture. At that point, the church is being more influenced by the culture than the church is influencing the culture. We're no longer salt. We're no longer light. The culture is being the salt. The culture is being the light. And we are following their light and being influenced by their salt. And that's when everything is turned upside down. Now, you can tell me what you think. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. And I'm, I'm just looking here at uh, some comments, not coming in on the, getting comments from two different sources. So, um, but it doesn't look like anything of, of major significance. It looks like people are trying to notify me about other things. But newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. I'm sure there's going to be many of you who disagree. Feel free to disagree. But can you do this in your disagreement? Just a thought. Instead of sounding like a crazy person at a school board meeting, how about sounding like a Christian? I know. What a radical thing to ask in 2021 of the church. All right. Thanks for listening. I'll be back on the air shortly. God bless.